Welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca. This is our third interview in the Movers and Shakers series, where we interview creators we can't get enough of. Today's episode is special as it marks the first of our episodes devoted to comic books, and there's no one better to start off the conversation than the brains behind Comics Bookcase, Zach Quaintance, to talk about his graphic novel coming out soon. So I am so happy today to be talking with Zach Quaintance, the writer and creator of the upcoming original graphic novel, Next Door, about the lack of trust between a husband and wife and between neighbors that culminates in a night of violence. Uh, this must be an incredibly exciting time for him, uh, as this is his first original graphic novel. So I'm incredibly pleased to welcome Zach. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for for having me on the show, and I'm I'm really excited to kind of talk talk more about this. Tell tell y'all more about this. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here to talk about it. Um, before we get started, I should point out that Zach also happens to have this wonderful website called Comics Bookcase, and while I do write for it, and uh, I did back next door on Kickstarter. I promise you, I'm getting absolutely no kickback for introducing you all to him on this podcast. I'm doing it for sheer love of the work, I promise. So can you tell me a little bit about what actually inspired you to start thinking about this story? Yeah, uh, happy to. It it actually started, it started um, just entirely out of wanting to collaborate with my friend, uh, Pat Scott, who's an incredible artist. Uh, during the quarantine, like we were both under shelter in place orders. Um, and we'd been wanting to do a comics project for, for a pretty long while. Um, and so we started working on what was originally going to be just kind of a five to seven page, uh, crime story. And it quickly became a lot about interactions between neighbors, um, which I didn't really realize at the time while working on it, but I think had a lot to do with, with it being developed in the early days of the pandemic when um, we were all just sort of wrapping our head around this idea that uh, we kind of newly posed a major threat to each other um, and that you needed to kind of rely on your neighbor to do the right thing and not, not be out uh, walking around in crowded places and, and to just take everything seriously. Um, so I think that that was really kicking around in the subconscious uh, of, of my head when I started when we started with the simple, the simple story, uh, with, which is kind of an incidental conflict between neighbors. Okay. Very cool. When you started working with Pat Scott, like his journey then. Yeah. Um, so Pat came to me, Pat's done a comic on Kickstarter before. This is my first, my very first experience with Kickstarter. Um, he'd done one before, uh, called the space wolf, which is a really cool comic actually kind of inspired by Jack London because where he grew up um, in Northern California, uh, Jack London lived there and there's like a whole park dedicated to, uh, to Jack London. And so this was kind of a take on some of Jack London's writing. It's really cool. Uh, it's really out there too. It's the space wolf. So it's a lot of sci-fi and kind of fantasy imagery. Um, so when he came to me wanting to work on a project, I think the one thing he told me was, can it be grounded? Like I, I want some practice and I want some work uh, illustrating domestic situations. Um, 
and just kind of normal everyday thing, less less about space or kind of uh, high flying fantasy or anything like that. Um, so he's been really grateful. You know, I think a lot of times when you writing for comics, when you write for an artist, you're worried about boring them. Like you don't want to give them too many domestic scenes. And it's been funny writing with him where he's been like, give me wine bottles to draw and stuff like that. <laughs> that he wouldn't always think an artist would be excited to draw um, just so he could practice kind of that, that kind of thing. So I think um, he's been really grateful for that. And if you like, I've seen the pages come in and they just keep getting better and better. Yeah. And the pages that you uh, sent me were just outstanding in terms of the artwork. I was, I was blown away. Yeah, they're incredible. The colorist on the project is Ellie Wright, um, who's just doing like her and Pat. Uh, they did a couple test pages to start, to and like they're just so well in sync. And I love the way the in those preview pages, which are also up on the campaign site, it just feels so warm to me. Like the uh, the scene, but there's also a little bit of threat to it, which is exactly the vibe yeah. we're kind of going for throughout. <laughs> yeah, there's just a little bit of darkness around the edges. That's quite yeah, lovely. Kind of creeping in, and like that—that that is all brought by the the visual work, which I think is just uh, phenomenal of them to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Where where exactly did you meet Pat in your journey through comics? I we know each other. Um, through my website, we met on social media, really, uh, just kind of interacting with, you know, I run my social media feed is very conversationally. Like I don't like a lot of comics review and analysis sites. I don't sort of want it to just feel like people are getting content thrown at them. Like I want, I want a conversation to kind of develop around. It. And that's, that's how I met Pat just talking about comics, uh, that way. And then, him posting his artwork and me just generally being a fan of it um, was the other side of it. So I think there was kind of a little bit of like, he liked my website. I liked his artwork. Yeah, no, that's great. And like, how did, how did you guys connect in terms of figuring out like the styles of each other in terms of collaborating? We kind of figured it out as we went. Um, oh, one of the cool things about this project, I think, is it's now it's now become something way bigger than it, obviously than it was when we started. But because uh, we developed it as a five-page short to begin with, we sort of had those five pages to get. Uh, and bef- and when we were doing that, we didn't have a colorist or letter. Like it was just going to be black and white, and uh, just kind of a small, um, almost like a zine we were going to print and pass out. But while working on those five pages, it was like a really good accidental way to uh, to get a hang of each other's styles for when we kind of expanded it. And there was a lot of um, back and forth on developing the characters, the plot, and what, what would happen, like kicking ideas around. It definitely wasn't a situation where I delivered him a fully formed uh, script. And I think that part of that was because like we were just it was just this idea of I wanted to do something short and he wanted some practice on these things. So it was really casual and it just kind of took hold as we were working on it. Like we might really have something here. Like this might be worth uh, building it out to 40 some pages. Wow. Once I got a better sense of his style, I was able to write like the story kind of dictated itself a little bit better knowing uh, what the characters look like and, and how he was approaching scenes which I think is kind of an ideal um, situation for creating something like this. And then the cover art that you recently released was just 
stunning too. Can you tell me anything about the cover artist? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, her name's Anna Redman and she's in the UK and uh, I've, always, I've been a, a fan of her work. Uh, she has a website with a lot of pages on them. They're all fantastic. Um, and like I came to her and, and asked if she was available to do a variant and she was and she came back like insanely quick with four incredible designs which i think hopefully will include in the back matter of the book so you can see all the rough rough designs and they all were very like it was picking which one to ask for a final version of was so hard like <laughs> like uh, i really like that one because the, the dog is sort of a, a nice touch point for people to kind of draw people in mm-hmm. but there's three other covers that she could have done that would have been just as good in my mind they were all super good oh. That's that's quite lucky to be spoiled for choice like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, just it's weird. I'm not always super comfortable asking people for things, just in general. But like asking people whose work you admire to work with, I think is a it's a scary thing to do. That's that pays off. So what can you tell us about, I mean, you, you kind of alluded a little to the idea of the work within the pandemic and so forth, but what are the themes and so forth of this particular graphic novel that you really want people to take from your comic in this moment? Why should people really resonate with your comic right now? Um, I think there's a lot of good, atten- good intentions, uh, like there's a there's a undercurrent to the themes around being more thoughtful um, past just your own petty micro dramas in the everyday, and kind of taking almost a holistic view to these things that we all have to do that that can seem so self important. Like moving into a new neighborhood, rather than being consumed with, uh, is this going to be the right move for just me. Like there's a, there's an element to everything in this of is what is what I'm doing good for the people around me as well, which I think would go more of that these days could, would go a very long way. to just kind of nudging things in the right, in a better direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have been um, talk, talking a lot about trying to stay above the pettiness of the day to day. And, uh, that's certainly very important right now. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I get it. Like, it's not, I think, I hope that's something everyone can relate to is it's like our, our central characters are maybe not, they're definitely not heroic, uh, but I think there's something very relatable to all of them. How have things been going with the Kickstarter campaign? It, it was, we were really fortunate to get fully funded for what we were asking for within the first 24 hours. Um, that was really, I mean, I, this is the first one I've done, so I didn't know how much, I didn't know what to expect really. Um, and yeah, it was really encouraging to have that much support that quickly. Uh, and it made it a lot easier to sleep. <laughs> that was really nice. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And in terms of um, what you've been doing in terms of writing about comics for so long, how would you say that's informed you're writing. Well, one thing, so I have a background. I wrote uh, fiction, literary fiction for most of my twenties and, and into my thirties before deciding that I wanted to try to get into comics, something I've always loved. Um, And so part of the, 
motivation behind starting my website and writing about comics was to better learn the medium mm-hmm. and to uh, to just give something. I didn't want to just walk into a new industry and be like, read my comics. I wanted to be a part of it first before ever kind of making that request to people. Um, so the whole thing's been educational, I guess, from the start. Like it's every time I uh, review a comic, like I'm kind of looking at, at the craft behind it pretty heavily, like from a student, almost a student standpoint rather than a uh, more, more critical standpoint um, that some sites take. I've never really, it's always kind of been a, more of a exploratory effort to, to figure out what people are trying to do and whether or not it worked rather than to be kind of like um, rule on whether or not something is worth somebody's time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's never been my style, I guess, with writing about comics. Yeah. And that's actually something that drew me to your site to begin with. And part of why I wanted to write for your site was that I wanted to write about things that I cared about. Um, Yeah. And I think that really shows up in your work. I mean, that's really, I think that's the way we've had, we've been a good fit. I, I like to think I have a whole, a whole team of people drawn to that idea. You do, you do. And I think everybody kind of approaches it from the idea of talking about the things that they're passionate about and the things that every comic brings. I think what's really fascinating is the way that you're able to generate interest in what's best about the work rather than ranking the work and, you know, being obsessed with this idea of, you know, holier than thou criticism. Yeah. And I just don't, I just don't know what, I just don't know how many people are legitimately out there looking for like someone to tell them whether they should buy something that costs $4. Like it's, yeah. and especially not to read 900 words about it. Like <laughs> it's, it's such a, like if, if your review, I don't know, like, especially on just the single issue comic books, like, I don't know if, um, if there's that much function and like I have written really critically about stuff at times, but it's, I always make sure it's kind of in the name of punching upwards, like, mm-hmm. uh, like a big two event or something like that. Like I've, I've, I've written critically about, but we're definitely not. And I'm definitely not looking for writing about, you know, a single issue of an independent comic book that was a miracle to get made uh, and taking it apart. You know, like I don't yeah. see a lot of, yeah. uh, that doesn't seem to add a lot to anybody's experience. Um, but one thing I, I think is kind of missing from a lot of comic websites is uh, reading lists. Like just like, uh, like you'll get um, in other, like with movies, like you can mm-hmm. easily find like, Oh, best of the year list. Um, best of whatever era list. I don't think we have enough of those in comics. And that's something I've tried to, to do often as well. Oh, that's, that is absolutely for sure. And I've really appreciated your um, additional uh, pieces that you've commissioned from other people on extra Eisners and so forth to add to, you know, those, you know, essential Oscar titles for comic books that are pretty much the only thing anyone ever has to go on. Yeah. Uh, when they walk into a comic book store at the, you know, in June or whenever. Uh, yeah. And it's, July, it's so hard to, uh, to just find things in comics. Like it's so decentralized the, the way we release things and, and how they find their ways to stores, like with the individual customer order system and that kind of thing. Like it's just so hard to figure out 
what's coming out when and where to get it. And it's, it's, we take it for granted when we've been in comics for a while about, uh, our own ability to navigate it. But if you're someone new to it, it's almost impossible. <laughs> like it's like a, this world you have to, to, um, decipher before you can even figure out what you should be reading. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's, it's really great that your website does such a good job of like listing what are the top things that are on sale with this website this week and what are the top things to buy for the year? Yeah. Thank you. I always try to think of people who maybe aren't on comics, Twitter and that, and that who are just kind of Googling or something like that. Cause that was me as recently as like three years ago, just Googling for like top comics of the week lists and stuff like that. Yeah. No, it, it's really fantastic. I mean, I'm a relative neophyte in the world of comics um, in that I've, not really read as widely as other people, but um, I'm for sure passionate about comics. And I, I actually have really benefited a lot from all of those lists that you've put out there. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. I can't speak highly enough to like how essential those things are. That's fantastic. I mean, you never really know a lot of times you just kind of throw these things out there. It's so nice to hear people say that. Yeah. And, um, and, and I wanted to ask too, like, are there collaborations that you're looking into perhaps doing in the future? Um, either in terms of future comics that you are planning on creating or other yeah. things? Um, so I, yeah, I'm going to continue, uh, I'll start with the, as it relates to the site. Um, I really like those, those daily collaborative projects. Like I've done two of them this year. The first one was a quarantine comics reading list that, uh, drew recommendations from people all over comics, uh, in the early days of quarantine. Uh, and then the second one was extra Eisner's list, um, which was all sort of critics and, um, people who do analysis and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I'm, I haven't formalized anything yet or, or really gotten anyone to start writing on it, but I'd like to do a daily collaborative list at some point in the fall, looking at um, fandom, like getting, I know a lot of people, a lot of friends online who are like very closely associated with certain characters. Mm-hmm. And I always think there's a really interesting backstory to how somebody started uh, an account in, like an entire online identity dedicated to X comic character. Um, so I'm trying to put together, I guess the next, the next list would be to have those people spend a month, one, one per weekday writing about their favorite character, how they, how they became so closely identified with that character. And then at the end sort of recommending like, here's the story you have to read about my favorite character. Oh, wow. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's in all. Hopefully, it'll come together. <laughs> like it's in the very <laughs> early stages, so, so I don't want to jinx it. But yeah, that I think that's next. Um, that we always do something at the end of the year with with people who contribute to the site, recommending their favorite comics from the past year. And I imagine we'll do that again in December. Cool. Very yeah. cool. And um, what about within your work of comics? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm really hoping that next door, uh, is a start. I mean, I, like I, like I said, I've, I've been wanting to transition into creating comics, uh, since I started the site. Um, 
And it's just so intimidating to put together a team, uh, to figure out funding lines and how you want to uh, reach an audience to compile. Like you kind of have to have, I think no matter how strong your idea is, it, it really helps to have an existing audience who like you as well. Um, and so all that's been such a long time coming uh, that if the, if people seem to really like this, um, I hope it's just a start. And one thing I've learned, I guess, from running this campaign is I probably only have one Kickstarter per year in me. <laughs> like, <it's> just, <laughs> like I can only imagine doing this at most once a year um, just because of all the work and uncertainty and all that. But I'd like to, uh, I'll probably pivot to start working on some pitches uh, with artists to send to editors once, once the smoke sort of cleared from this project and it's all finished and in people's hands. Oh, that's great. Like, are, are there any specific themes or ideas you're working through in the back of your head right now or yeah there's i haven't really nailed it down um but there's something there's something i'd like to to do with this with this idea of uh i've been taking add meds i guess since i was like 15 and it's been in recent years i've been trying to wean myself off of them and just kind of learn to not not rely on them as much um and I read quite a bit about uh, pill manufacturers and, and you know, the, the um, like, prescri- over-prescribing kind of medicine. Like, a lot of what – I've done a lot of research about – for my generation and people my age in, like, came of age in the early 2000s, there was a lot of, like, marketing from big pharmaceutical companies to get doctors to prescribe ADD meds to kids who maybe didn't always need them. Mm-hmm. Um, or I was one of those kids too, by yeah, the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's kind of, it's affected my whole life. Like, it's been a really, like, I've become, with it's when I was 17, they tell you, you need this. And it was kind of end of conversation. Um, and there's been a lot of reporting. I don't know if you've if you've caught this, but there's been a lot of reporting done in recent years about, just how aggressive the marketing campaign was mm-hmm. to, yeah, to make that medicine widespread. And so that's something I'm trying to, to turn into like a dystopian, like I want to extend that idea to like, what if that didn't just shape my life, but all of society and where would it be? Because there are some benefits to it. I mean, these are, these are meds that really made me work hard a lot, but at what cost, you know? Um, and so that's something I'm trying to kind of develop right now, but it's in, uh, I haven't been, I've been wrestling with it. Like I've burned through a lot of notebook pages, kind of developing characters and in, in a world around that. And I haven't quite uh, ironed it all out yet, but that's kind of what is on my radar to work on next. Yeah. Well, and certainly pharmaceutical companies are generally persona non grata in this country right now. So I think it's timely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's, there's an opioid crisis where they've been, essentially like cartels, you know, like it's, yeah. it's ugly. Um, so I think there's a lot there. It's just, it's, it's, the problem is that there's a lot there and it's hard to kind of <laughs> unpack it around. and figure out exactly how to structure it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, but whatever you do with it, I'm sure it'll be very thoughtful and very interesting. So. Yeah. Thank you. And it's a, it, like everything, it's a matter of finding the right artist. Um, first and foremost, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's wonderful. One of the other things that you do with comics bookcase too, that I kind of wanted to bring attention to is that you do these Twitter read alongs. Um, 
you've you've been doing them for quite a while. I only joined along uh, when you were reading through Doom Patrol, and I kind of fell in love with your website through reading Doom Patrol along with you. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know if you even knew that. But no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even know. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'd never read Doom Patrol before, and I just became obsessed. And It was know. so good. That was my first time reading as well. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And do you, do you want to explain kind of the concept of the read-alongs? Sure, yeah. I could do it through the backstory, which is I was at um, San Diego Comic-Con a couple years ago. I think it was 2018. And they were rolling out the new uh, Sandman universe comics at a panel and they passed out these little cards that just had a code on it. that gave everybody all 75 issues of uh, Neil Gaiman Sandman. Um, and it wasn't even my idea. It was a friend of mine on Twitter who came up with, like, let's do the Sandman 75. We'll read one issue per night and we'll, we'll get through it. We'll do it that way. Cause like, like, like you, I'm not me. I'm not, I'm definitely not one of these comics fans who's read everything. Like, you know, um i've just kind of read as my fancy has led me like i haven't there's a lot of like really significant runs that everyone loves that i haven't read and sandman was kind of at the top of the list Um, wow that's usually everyone's gateway drug yeah i know that's that's odd mine was like bad x-men comics in the 90s (laughs) yeah yeah i think uh i think x-men comics were where i started in the 90s too and you know and i didn't read sandman until well, actually, I had a, a horrible ex-boyfriend who tried to make me read Sandman in college. And then I said, no, I'm never reading Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> and then it wasn't until my husband came along that I actually started reading it. It has a reputation as, that, as, one of, as a comic that, that uh, pe- within relationships that people often use to get their significant other into comics. I've heard yeah. that story several times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um that so that's where i started and it was just like a matter of like oh i'm so busy i don't know if i'll ever make the time to read it otherwise if Mm -hmm. i don't if i don't create some kind of structure to it in my day Mm -hmm. um and that that's what's continued like after i finished that we went on and did every single hellboy comic ever made next and then um this year classic yeah that was another one of those things that was like, I felt like I should have read, but it was just never going to make the time. (laughs) Well, and there's so much of it too. And it's kind of spread out and diffuse and hard to figure out exactly what the chronology is for a lot of people. So. Yeah. It's yeah. Because of all the, it's not just numbered one, one through 300 or whatever, whatever it's spread out on all those other series. It's like really difficult to wrap your head around. Um, And it's just now I can't imagine not having one of these projects sort of going uh, each day. Although we did take it off of weekends uh, with the swamp thing. We've kind of gone Monday through Friday, make it a little, I felt like a lot of people would start off the first week and kind of drop out over the weekend because they're mm-hmm. too busy. So we've kind of just, I think it'll have, it's been having better results just Monday through Friday. Yeah, no. And I, I think that was a good decision because I think it's much easier to kind of keep up. Yeah. And it builds in like, let's, if you're really busy on Wednesday and you fall an issue behind, you have the weekend then to sort of catch up. I think. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I've been doing with Swamp Thing in general. I haven't been commenting a whole lot, but I have been reading. So. Yeah. How are you liking it? Oh, I love it. 
I love yeah. it so much. It's really good. Steven Bissett is a god. Anyway. Yeah. And it's really hard like to sort of anticipate where what's coming next, I feel like. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's literally all over the place. Like you look at the next issue cover and you're like, what? Yeah. Where is this coming from? And then all and then they're trying to do the like uh tie-ins to the uh, crisis on infinite earth so like batman just shows yeah. up sometimes <laughs> yeah and it's it's so funny because that seems so random and yet alan moore still manages to make it an appealing and wonderful comic in spite of the weird tie-ins that don't always make the most sense yeah it doesn't derail anything really i mean it's always just a page or two here and you're right back kind of immersed in what you were doing without too many questions yeah, no, and it's 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 really fantastic. I mean, you had never read Swamp Thing before either, right? No, that's that's one of the, I guess, prerequisites to what we've been picking with all these things. Is it's is it's uh, the stuff that everyone else? I feel like everyone but me has read is what I'm is usually what I'm trying to check off um, with these mm-hmm. things. No, I hadn't. I'd heard about it a million times, but I hadn't read it. Yeah, unfortunately, it was the same with me. And uh, my husband has been trying to make me read Swamp Thing for the longest time. And also one of my best friends. And, um, you know, it was like, uh, but, uh, you know, and then (laughs) it's like, (laughs) you know, but then it's like, oh, just an issue at night. Eh, I can do that. It seems so much more manageable, right? It does. It does. It seems so much more manageable and it's a lot more fun when you, you know, are able to kind of see what other people are thinking as they're reading through and kind of talk about those things. So, and you kind of keep each other accountable. I feel like, like you're part of this thing. So you're not going to, you're not as easy to like do something else. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. And I love the way that you encourage this discourse about comics in this way too through everything that you do on social media as well as the website and um, everything that you're doing, um, I think really is going to show itself in amazing ways in your final product. That's my, that's my belief. (laughs) I I appreciate that faith (laughs) and I, I really hope I'm, I'm excited for you to read it and and tell me what you think because I really hope, I mean, that's what we were trying to do. And I really hope that's what comes across. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be really wonderful. And um, again, I just want to say, like, I, I really think your idea of kind of the neighborhood violence, it, you know, amid the pandemic is kind of a, such an interesting idea. I keep thinking back to that cover in my head. It's, you know, I also keep thinking about other works that um, have dealt with this conflict between neighbors. I don't know if it's related at all to what you've done, but um, there was a play by Yasmina Reza called God of Carnage that was made into a movie by Roman Polanski, again, now a persona non grata, but um, it 
is very much about the conflict between neighbors and how nasty people can be when they don't understand each other's perspectives. And Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that movie. Um, you don't have to be, but... <laughs> But that's definitely part of it is the like just total lack of understanding where it's like people, it almost seems like, like just the smallest thing can, can determine if you're going to have a bad or good relationship with a neighbor. Uh, One or two interactions can just totally derail how we get along with the people who live nearest to us. um, who We might otherwise get along with really well. I mean, if we just kind of give them a chance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and just that idea of meeting each other in terms of the perspectives from which we come is so important right now, I think. So I think, yeah. I think that's such a wonderful theme to go with. And I think right now, I mean, we didn't do this on purpose, but I think it, part of the reason we, this book came together the way it did is because our worlds have sort of been limited to our neighborhoods right now, like mm-hmm. more, more than they ever have before. So it's like walking the dog is a very significant act for a lot of people or it's the only time you see other people or was for quite a while i mean i feel like people brought in the scope of where they go now but there was a time where that was like the only time you were seeing people you didn't directly live with was when you're walking your dog mm-hmm. or your cat or your cat <laughs> that was good timing that was good timing but i'll probably edit that out um but uh no. And and when you think about uh, neighborhoods, too, I mean, within individual neighborhoods, there are so many different battle lines that get drawn, um, you know, and I, I don't know if if racial conflicts or anything of that sort plays any sort of role. In- yeah, we definitely address the yeah, we definitely address that and, and how sort of. Um, the minority communities are often being pushed out of these, like a big part of the book is looking at these, the idea of the up and coming neighborhood, which can often mean that like sort of uh, higher end trendy white people are moving in and pushing out longtime communities, which are primarily in a lot of cities are primarily made up of minorities. Um, a lot of what we tried to do there was hold the the white characters in the book to account for their, for, for their role in that and to point out that a housing crisis is the responsibility of the people um, benefiting from it, probably more than anybody else to fix, you know? Well, and it, it's so important right now, I think that uh, people are just now starting to become a little more aware how redlining as a practice has affected neighborhoods, how gentrification is still effectively a practice of redlining or uh, segregation and constantly pushing uh, BIPOC people to the fringes wherever possible. Yeah. And part of, uh, part of what's informed this is I've lived in, I like I've lived in probably six cities, I think as an adult, like I've moved around quite a bit and uh, finding like what neighborhood to live in has been a thing I've, I've had to confront. And then when I guess when I started, when I was in my early twenties and all through my twenties, really, it wasn't really, these issues weren't things I really thought about. I just like, where's the cool part of town? Um, where can I afford to live? Like what, 
what are my needs really? And now that I'm, I'm older, I have a little bit and I've moved a lot and have a little bit more resources, I guess it, I have been able to kind of more seriously confront, um, my own choices, like where to live and moving around the country a lot. And, um, it's something I think about a lot, I guess, is inherently an interloper because I'm not, I don't live where I grew up, um, or around my family. It's something I've had to like, I think, think about, uh, more, more often than, than people who kind of just live in the same place where they're from, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's always a, a strange thing when you're thinking very critically about where you've lived and the pockets within the neighborhoods that have raised you and how that affects your worldview because it certainly does. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I guess there's definitely, I think uh, a right way and a wrong way to move into someone else's community. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. we don't always talk about it that way. Like there's um, I live in, I live in DC um, not far from Howard university. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was uh, there was an incident here that where that area is becoming like a lot of DC is becoming rapidly gentrified, and there was a guy walking his dog on I think it's called the yard or the lawn at Howard, which is like a historically significant area, and he was walking his dog on it, um, and which was very disrespectful to anyone who knew the university or the history of the area. And this this guy was just a guy who bought um, bought into the area, and that was kind of held up. Yeah. And that was, I was at an, I was at an event for work, um, for my day job about where I I write about local government and it was kind of held up, uh, by housing advocates as sort of the the, wrong way to kind of move into a neighborhood and, and just not respect the history or the people that are already there. Um, and so that's something I, I've been thinking about since moving here last year. Um, am I, I don't want to be that guy like whatsoever, you know? And so I think a lot about like, am I, am I living in this neighborhood where I'm not from um, the city? I'm not from the state area, the whole part of the country. I'm not from in a respectful way to the people who are from here and that have been here for years and years. Yeah. It's always so important to try and figure that out and to try and reach out to neighbors to, help you figure out exactly what the community is that you are now a part of and how you function within that. Absolutely. To just, I think what we've tried to do is just be deferential to our neighbors. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This was a wonderful conversation and I highly recommend for all of our listeners to check out Zach's Kickstarter campaign for next door because it promises to be a wonderful comic. But thank you so much, Zach. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And and thank you so much for the wonderful work you've done for the site. I would also recommend anyone listening to, to read Ariel's writing about comics. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for a discussion of the pre-MCU yet totally Marvel movie Blade. In the meantime, we are at Omnibus Ride on all the things, and please give us a rate and review on iTunes or Podchaser. It takes a minute, but it means the world. Thank you.